in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining me today is my nimble co host, Patrick Pister. Hey, Mark, how you doing? We're doing awesome, Patrick. It's actually it's fall for Houston. It's below 90. We get our, our two weeks of nice weather, and then it'll get cold, and then hot again. Then it'll rain, and then it'll get hot yeah. again. Yeah. And we're actually, where are we, Patrick? We're in Pasadena, Texas, at H&M Industrial EPC's facility down here. We've got Jay and Sydney on the microphone. How y'all doing today? We're doing great. Doing well. Yeah. And so, Patrick, it's an interesting story how you ran across them. I don't even remember. It was <laughs> it was at the Gulf Coast Regional. You helped me with the uh, the rest of it, Sydney. We were... You don't remember? Gulf Coast Edu- uh, Economic Alliance. Gulf, yeah, the Economic Alliance, the Gulf Coast Economic Alliance, and we saw you know Ted Cruz was there, um, Ryan Sitton. I got to interview, but it was a it was a really good good event. Yeah, and so one of the things that's really cool is when Patrick said, "Hey, we need to interview this company." Is the fact that uh, your CEO Larry Hogan actually won an award? Yes, he did. Yeah, and he won an award on CEO who gets it, who gets safety right, and it's just it's really fascinating. If, if you look at most companies, and you're not a large company, right? And, and typically, companies of your size don't always put the time and effort and money into making sure that safety is built into their culture. But y'all do it differently. Yeah, we do. He just makes sure that, you know, safety's part of everything that we do, whether it's starting a meeting or, or just everyone's involved. And so he, every project, has safety built into it. Yeah, and Jay, you were talking about this earlier. You and I are, are not the young people in our industry. You've been doing this for a while, haven't you? Uh, a little while. Yeah. 20 plus years. 20 plus years. And you have seen, so if you've been doing this for 20 years, you have seen how much our industry as a whole has changed, has become safer, become more efficient in doing things. I mean, it must be a, a pleasure for somebody, for a safety professional of somebody with your experience, to actually see that now trickle its way into smaller companies who want to be just as safe as they possibly can be. It is. Uh, you know, I, when I started, it was safety belts, if you even more them. And now it's retractable, retractable lifelines, SRLs, for fall protection. Uh, so we've we've come a long way. Yeah. How'd you get your start in the industry? Well, uh, decided to go off to school after college, after high school, and, and made it a semester. Uh, decided I'd come home and get married instead of go to school. Right. And got hired on at DuPont. My dad worked for DuPont, so got hired on there. And the safety, the job downsized real quick, and so they let the safety manager go, and they needed someone to do the medic stuff, take care of first aid, stuff like that. They asked me if I'd go get my EMT uh, certification. I did. While I was there, I found out that San Jack also had a associate's degree in occupational safety and health went to brown and root at the time and asked them if i could uh go through that program and so i got to learn 
the field stuff at a young age, also while going to night school. And that's probably been my best education because I've, I've actually got to apply everything I learned in that two-year program that took me probably four going to night school as well as while it was, you know, happening on the job site. I, was, I would get to apply. So academia and real hands-on experience at the exact same time. There's no better way to learn anything. No better way, especially in the safety industry, I believe. Now, you did date yourself by calling it Brown and Root instead of Kellogg Brown and Root. Right. right. It, it was I remember. Brown and Root. I was there. I remember. And then, um, so that was a long time ago, um, 20 years of safety experience. And you come to work for a company like uh, H&M Industrial, and the, the president of the company says, hey, I want you to push back. I want you to do the right things for the company. I want this to be the safest company out there. That must have felt really good. It really did because uh, I've only worked at three other companies and, and a couple of them that were really large. And one of them not necessarily had that same mentality. And so when I came over here and, and, and he tells me this and he tells me that, you know, the vision of the growth of the company, we want the foundation to be you know, employees, health and safety. And therefore, that's why we're bringing, bringing you on board to set the foundation of the organization. Well, and Jay, you said at lunch, that it was the company that you left that I'm not going to say who it was or what they what the comment was, but it was a bad culture. And it was actually what got you to leave. Yes, and very much. So. I, I want our audience to make note of that, that culture will drive good people away. Bad culture will drive bad, good people away. Good culture will attract them. For sure. I, and that was my first you know, that, I think that's what I learned the most about safety is a bad culture and that I know that that's not the way you're going to send people home safe. And so that was my number one thing I was looking for when Mr. Hogan uh, approached me and asked me if I'd be interested in talking to him and wanted to make sure that, that you know, he stood behind that and that was – well, and he gets out in the field. I mean, from the safety award that you got from the National Safety Council, he goes out there, minimum quarterly inspections that he's going. He's not just sitting in a boardroom and telling his supervisors what they have to do on a daily basis. He's getting out in the field and making sure y'all are doing what you need to do. He is the- a hands-on guy, and, and he's probably out there today because um, his truck's not here. If his truck's not here, he's out on the job site. He's not on vacation. And our, uh, our audience asks all the time, you know, what – and we talk about culture, but how you actually drive culture is a hard thing to nail down. And I think that's one good example. It's it's not everything, but being having senior management present in the field, I think, goes a long way. All of our construction managers, the ones that report directly to him and, you know, run the job sites, they're out there on a, reg, you know, a, a weekly, sometimes daily basis. And we've got a, a leadership observation form that these guys participate in and, and turn in on a quarterly basis. It even goes down to the director of sales. I mean, he's required to go out there quarterly just like the director of construction would be. So it's not specific to, you know, construction only or engineering only. It even is, you know, our business development team. Yeah, so, Sid, you actually bring up a good point. It's a, and before we go there, though, how did you get your start in this industry? So I was originally going to school for nursing, but whenever I – went to the hospital and shadowed, it was such a doom and gloom feel that I thought to myself, you know, how can I get on the front end of things? How can I prevent someone from, you know, getting going to the hospital or 
you know, having an injury that's preventable. Obviously, there's chronic diseases and illnesses that, you know, aren't always preventable, but that's kind of how I found safety. Oh, God, what a cool story. I've never heard that before. But if, right, if you think about the, the progress of that, if you get in front of the injury, which is the health, safety, environmental part of it, then you're preventing people from getting hurt in the first place, which they won't need the nurse. Exactly. Yeah. And so um, how did you uh, run across uh, H&M Industries? Actually, they ran across me, I would say. That's true. I was a uh, LinkedIn stalker. <laughs> so you actually found, found Sydney on LinkedIn? I did. I reached out to her connected with her asked her if she would be interested in coming on board and and uh, being able to you know do multiple things being a smaller company yeah so audience out there who writes to me tells me all the time linkedin's not worth anything you just heard a real story that we didn't prep them for right no there's no prep and i i, I swear by it uh you know i i reach out to numerous folks on linkedin and and definitely sydney was was the diamond in the rough i mean she's she's been amazing so jay just uh, to stop you there what, what were you looking for why why'd she stick out and you know to help our audience if they're with their linkedin profiles if they're looking for a new job what what actually drew you to her well i was wanting someone with some safety experience somebody that it, that knew the lingo someone that knows difference between a lel meter a respirator you know some of those things but i also wanted someone that was very good technically with the computer writing skills. You know, I had an old supervisor one time tell me the good leaders, good managers figure out what their weaknesses are. And what you, when you figure that out, you hire that person to be part of your team, and then you make them part of your team, not just a subordinate. So that's what I was, I was really looking for. And even, it's funny we say it right now, we're looking for an individual to fill a position. I don't want someone that's come up through just being a fire watch and, and you know, cannot, has no computer skills or, or writing skills. It's got to be someone that it's a safety professional. You know, if it's age doesn't matter, but it typically is the younger group that's, that's coming out of school, that's had one job maybe. I'm a coach. We're a, we're a team. I love to coach the younger generation in the technical safety aspects and they can do the things that I'm not real real good at, real efficient at. I can I can do them. It'll take Sydney five minutes to do something on the computer. It might take me thirty. Yeah. Hey, Patrick, I think it's the first time we've had a company on board that wanted to hire somebody when they were using yeah, the podcast. Yeah, I think podcast. that is the first for us. <laughs> yeah, so, so you're looking for somebody, not quite entry level, but you're looking for somebody that has a little bit of field experience that wants to come board, work for a company that's growing, right? Y'all do a lot of uh, construction, construction management in the pipeline, refinery, petrochemical world. Is that right? Terminals, uh, oil and gas, the, the petrochemicals. We do design, build, engineering. Uh, we'll go in, send our engineers, designers, build it on paper, get our construction team, you know, to take take the drawings and uh, go out and, and and build it. And so, most of our focus, even though we do have program our programs integrated to include our engineering and designers, because they do go out and have challenges with fall protection and and their equipment like that but for sure you know then our main focus is our construction group that's out there building 
a loading rack, a docks. We work in a lot of midstream. We've built a number of docks, topside on the on the docks. So, um, you know, we're working for some some polypropylene, polyethylene, uh, petrochemical facilities uh, right now. And the main thing is raising the bar for safety professionals. So we don't want someone who's just only in the field or just only in the office. You know, if a field engineer can play both roles, then why can't a safety professional play both roles? Because what a lot of people don't understand is the compliance behind safety and the amount of paperwork, I guess, as you would say, that safety that is required uh, per OSHA and per clients and per company regulations. Yeah, and so Sid, you actually brought up a good point. And so, audience, if you're if you're looking for a good gig with your great company, and this sounds interesting, we'll put a link in the show notes, Patrick. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But Sydney, you brought up a good point. So, I personally don't believe that a, a well-rounded safety person is in the office all the time. They, you have to be out in the field, just like you said, just like with an engineer, right? Mm-hmm. They have to know what's reality, not what's sitting on an Excel spreadsheet. Do you think that's the same way? Yes, I yeah. definitely agree because. Just like a lot of our field supervisors say, uh, previous you know larger companies they would get a safety training topic and it would apply, it would not be applicable for the field at all. And they knew that someone in the office had written it and have never stepped yep. foot on a job site. And so what happens that is you start having uh, JSAs creep out that actually don't protect people because somebody in an office who's never had an overhead lift or never had a sling or never had to worry about respiratory or fall protection wrote stuff and that gets people hurt. Definitely agree. And being out in the field also helps come up with alternative solutions. Not everything is black and white. There's so much gray, you know, in everything that we do because there's not a rule or a regulation written for every single activity that you do. So having that field experience gives you the ability to think for yourself and think outside of the box to find something that can be safe as well as productive. Right, because all it takes is for one little thing to change and whatever somebody wrote down back at the office doesn't necessarily apply anymore. And you don't want to just follow stuff blindly. You want to know that the intent is to keep people safe. Definitely. So how, how do you get your guys in the field? You, we talked earlier, you, you're a, a smaller team, you're not one of the big operators, but some of your clients are quite large and they do have certain reporting requirements that you have to follow in addition to OSHA and everything else. How do you get your smaller team in the field, on the job sites, where you're actually going to make a difference? So with anything with a company, I would say that planning is critical to ensure that we can be out in the field while also adhering to reporting requirements. If we commit to a schedule or a timeline, then we make sure to plan accordingly, whether it be myself in the field or Jay in the field, and then vice versa, handling the reporting requirements. We also have a field safety supervisor who is on the job sites every single day and really, really helps out getting the eyes in the field. And they're, when they're in the field, they're in the field. They're not yes. doing other work. They're not doing some kind of filling out a form or reporting. They're in there in the field to help coach, mentor, train, and, and correct. that's correct. Yes, um, and that goes with the communication. Just with that planning, the communication across disciplines and across departments is, is definitely key. Definitely. Yeah, I've seen they just see the reporting requirements that are out there now. You've you've got a safety officer who he's supposed to be on the job site. And they spend the first two hours in their office getting ready to start the day in the last two, three hours in the office doing all the reporting, which are the most dangerous times of the job. You're starting up or shutting down a job is the most dangerous time statistically. So it's good to see y'all getting on the field. Yes. Yeah, so let me ask you, if uh, if I'm a new hire, if I've been working off for a week or so and I'm out in the field and I'm welding and I see something that's not safe, can I stop the job? Oh, certainly. 
And that's part of our orientation as well. We have the stop work authority. You know, we do have a, a our process of behavior safety and safety suggestions is one of our lead designers that's been here a long time. We had a slogan contest. It was just to come up with a slogan to try to name our behavior-based safety process. And, you know, we got 150 different slogans, and, and the very first one that was uh, – turned in was safety take it personal make it personal that was short sweet it says everything you want it to say and so that's our behavior-based safety process name if you will and and our behavior safety observation cards are now our tip cards so everyone gets the training to go through that uh, they know that we have stop work authority cards that the president that the ceo Mr. Hogan is is actually signed and and put his statement on. But what we've done with that tip process is probably one of the best that I've been involved with. And I was on the very front end when BST was a big start in behavior-based safety. I was on an implementation team to start that, that program at that facility I was at. So it's come a long way, but the one thing, you know, we always talk about coaching, feedback, positive, negative comments. The thing that I say sets us apart is that there's not a tip card that has a suggestion or an at-risk or a positive that's written on the tip card that Sydney and I, either one or both of us, don't read and we always act 95% of the time, if not more, to the individual, if they put their name on it, to go back and say, hey, this is what we're doing. Great. You know, we'll give a, a gift card or, or a, a ball cap or, or a nice pair of safety glasses, things like that. But I think that's where we get it to the, the field level. And so many of those guys are like, Man, I've never met the safety manager before on companies I've worked for. I've never had him come and have the card and, and discuss the card, what's on his card with him. I, li- I like how you talked about actually discussing the cards. I've, I've seen focus, safety, stop, start. Everybody has some kind of observation card program, but I guess I wanted to ask some kind of hard-hitting questions. Of One, how do you know that you're getting quality? Do you have requirements for how many cards have to get put in a day? And that always drops down the quality of the card. So how do you implement a program? Obviously, you're going back to the people who write them. That's I'll let great, Sydney. She's, she kind of manages I kind of want to dissect your, your card program here. So we have a requirement for one card per week. However, you know, there's no repercussions if an employee doesn't turn in a card because exactly like you said, we want quality cards. However, we also have an, a supervisor incentive program. So if it really falls more on the supervisor. So they need to get their employees to turn in the cards. They also need to read them. However. So you have the supervisors read them? Yes, as well as us. Okay. Um, well, I've seen a lot of them just go into a big hopper and some safety guy exactly. back in town has if, to read them. Yeah, or just, um, they're just data entry. Someone at the office gets these cards and they're just. Right, but you're actually making the supervisors read their, their guys' cards. Yes, so that whenever we bring up there's an issue on a card or a concern, then they're in the loop as well and they know what we're talking about. And it's actually really funny because one of the guys that Jay went and talked to about 
they were asking for respiratory protection was like, see, went to one of his friends and was like, see, I told you they actually read them here <laughs> because so many companies don't read them. I can speak from previous experience that we just had a big box and someone from the office would just input them. We never did anything with the data. Yeah. And I've seen safety. I mean, I, that's why I was asking how you get the implementation in the field. Cause I've seen the safety officer, he's got to put those cards in and yes. here she is sitting there and the end of their day is taking all those cards, typing them back up, sending them to somebody. They've got to pick, all right, which one's the best one? Well, we've got 250 cards, and all of them are about people sliding down the handrails on their, without walking. So it's. I think there's a lot of takeaways that our audience can get, that you you make the supervisors read them. You, you ask for a card a week, but you don't make it uh, obligatory, and you put the owner uh, – the enforcement on the supervisors. We do, and, and we try to do that on a positive note uh, because I don't believe in rewarding people to be safe. That's 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 all of our duty. It's, that's our job. Now, incentives, I believe in incentives, but they've got to be the right way. You can't do it for incidents, accidents. Of course, OSHA nowadays, I think, is, is trying to make sure people don't set up incentives. So what we've set up is our frontline superintendents – that are over specific jobs, they've got requirements that they've got to meet. It's a bonus program. And if they meet, all of their training is done in a quarter, if it, if it came due, we do it quarterly. So if their training is done, if all of their employees turn in a tip card. Now, you do get some that are probably pencil whipped. I mean, I haven't figured that one out. Anybody figures that out, please do a podcast so we all know. But I'll do I'll do a whole episode on how I pencil with my right. observation cards when I was offshore. But you know the ones that actually turn them in, we make sure that we follow up on them. But what's nice is the superintendents. It does build a little engagement, a little accountability between you know one of the big metrics and and with VPP is employee engagement and those type things. Uh, so one way that we engage with the employees is, one, the superintendent has got to know his people well enough to, to get their buy-in to turn those one-a-week cards in. And if they don't, then that superintendent loses a percentage of his bonus. You know, it, a lot of people can pick things apart on stuff like that, and it makes superintendents drive the workforce. But... Honestly, we've not had any of that come up. I mean, it's all been positive. But you're right. On the other side, I've seen incentive programs where, all right, we know hand injuries are the hot button item, so everybody's going to write a hand injury card because they're trying to get that $50 gift certificate. Or they get a disincentive. I never win the car. They're always going to pick somebody from this group because they're more high profile, so it doesn't matter what card I write. And then having to do a card a day or three cards a day or whatever it is, you're just, I just got to get something down. Even if you have good observations, you're not sitting there with a pad of paper and stopping the job every time. So it's it's nice to hear how another company is implementing a program and, and it's actually being successful for you. I would say consistent, timely follow-up has really led to our success because, for example, we just had one, I don't know, last week about us getting them a light plant. Time change. Because of the time change. And so, you know, we may not have known about them needing a, a light plant out there because... It's really hard to to kind of filter through if it's their wish list or if it's something they really need. Right. But with us following up with every single card, it helps build the culture and build the engagement with the employees. The integrity. 
the integrity of it because when we look at it and we've got one job site that says, hey, the time hasn't changed yet until November, the first week of November, well, it's getting – it you know, it, it stays dark till 7.30. Well, we start at 6.30. So on a couple of job sites, everyone's busy. Honestly, I didn't think about that. Uh, I'm just knowing I'm getting to work at dark, you know, when I'm coming to work. Uh, but then another job site, we look through the cards, another job site says the same thing. So immediately, once we got those cards, now it may have taken a day or so for us to get the card from the facility uh, back to us. But immediately, I go to talk to construction management. Walk in his office. I mean, he's busy doing his things. I, I barge in and, you know. We have a good working relationship, and I say, hey, how do we take care of this? Two options. We get some light plants, or we push back start time an hour, 30 minutes to an hour. He's like, hey, that's a great, great idea. And so, you know, that day it went out to all superintendents, all job sites. They were going to start 30 minutes later, and a couple of the jobs or one of the jobs – we rented light plants and had put out there. So um, it's well, things it, like that that shows the integrity of, of us, but also when we go talk to the individuals, when we're, you know, we can joke with them and tell them, hey, this isn't a Christmas list. This <laughs> isn't, you know, you're not going to get a new, you know, truck out there. It's going to be all fancy for y'all. But, but I, can not see, gonna... I can see in the absence of a program that ask, you're asking for the frontline guys to tell you what they need. In the absence of a plan like this, I could just see a lot of uh, requisitions for flashlights. Like, we just need flashlights. And not actually understanding why these requests are coming through, but going out to the job site. What, what do you need? Why are we doing this? It, well, it's We're starting at 630. It doesn't get the lights at 730. We need some kind of solution. We don't know what it is, but help us. So right. For every at-risk situation or condition that they identify they have to put a reason why or a mitigation plan so it also you know gives them some kind of accountability or engagement in a finding a solution but what if they want to be anonymous you said they could put their name on there they don't have to some of them you know most of them now unless they're just new employees put their name on i I guess you know we've been doing this over has it been over a year now Mm -hmm. yeah and um the success of it has been really good. And we have a, a field safety supervisor that goes to all the job sites once a week, you know, every week uh, and, and does training, talks about the tip cards. He's looking at them as well. He picks them up, brings them back to the office. So there's a lot of interaction around the tip cards. You know what I like about this, Patrick? It's real and it's actionable, right? This isn't theory that somebody in an office somewhere came up with some system or some sales guy sold them some software solution. Y'all actually came up with something that works. Y'all get the feedback from the field what you need. The field people know that you're engaged and that you read them, so they feel confident that you're out there trying to help them. I mean, it's just it's a beautiful, simple... And I'm sure 99% of our listening audience has either has a program or had some kind of program... And even if you have a program, I've seen the, all right, you're going to have one card a day, all right, three cards a week, or one a week, and nobody has really dialed in. So it's nice to hear from a company that you've got a program, you, you are probably still tweaking it and improving it, but it's working right it's now. It's an evergreen. Yeah. You know, it changes, and, and we update and, and make changes. You know, our leadership wanted a different card uh, when they go out. They wanted on one side to be like a housekeeping audit, the other side, because the superintendent's part of their in- 
bonus plan is housekeeping. And we're, you know, housekeeping is, is it's where a lot of your injuries and, and incidents start is, is poor housekeeping. And so we made those adjustments, and they've got their tip card on the front and the housekeeping checklist on the back. And those are from senior-level leadership, CEO all the way down to, you know, the management. Well, I'm going to say if you if you don't have a program out there, you should get in, get in touch with Jay and guys here at H&M and find out what they're doing because it sounds like the program is working for now, and, and hopefully it gets better. And, um, yeah, like I said, there's a lot of companies out there that either have a program or are working with a program that I think they could learn a lot from you. I also say that, you know, it's, it's, of course, I call us the gray hairs of the old guys, you know, but bringing in Sydney and, and the buzzword around is millennials and, you know, the, how they're entitled and, and a lot of the negative stuff, but there's a lot of great stuff from that group. Oh, yeah. She comes in, she wants to know why, she wants actions, you know, she, from our TIP program process that we you know our behavior safety process it's you know it's not okay to just have some cards and they not get looked at she's been on vacation and you know as soon as she comes back and there's a stack on my desk and you know that's one of the first things and did you follow up on these you know (laughs) she's she's making diligent efforts to make sure that and and because we work such so good together as a team i I can't stress enough about especially in safety like sydney said it to have a a, you know an experienced senior person and match the experiences and and skill sets with each other where one's weak one's strong it's really taken us help us go to that next level the other cool things you're holding each other accountable right that's what that's what people should do right um, not in any other way other than to be helpful. But when somebody holds you accountable, when your peers go, hey, put your safety glasses on, right? Or, hey, have you typed up this report yet? That just makes everything run better for everybody. It does. Yeah. And we don't mind doing that. I will say, I, you know, I've always wanted to say one of the things that uh, leadership-wise, you got to have empathy for the people you your leaders over. When we go out to the job sites, Sydney and I both, uh, whether it's together or separate, you know, we have empathy for those folks that are, it's 105 degrees outside and they're swinging a sledgehammer or they're welding pipe or, or whatever. That's a struggle. That in itself is a hazard in working in Houston, Texas. Uh, so all the other things, we need to make sure, what can we do to help them out and how do we make it easier, better, safer? And, and it- Go ahead. It gives them a voice. A lot of times people don't hear the craft personnel. So this is just one way to give them a voice because it's not, they don't only have to put, you know, safety concerns or at-risk conditions. It can be anything from needing more manpower or, you know, having to work too many hours. They can put in, yeah, they can put anything on these cards. It's really just to give them a voice and to be heard from the office. Yeah. It's, and I'll tell you, it's, it's nice. Those guys in the field, I guarantee you appreciate the fact that they know that y'all are listening to them. And and that's a good point. Cause I think one thing that's missing from all these safety card programs is they're strictly safety cards. And I think you're, you're losing a lot of information. If you're, you're telling all they can talk about is safety. Well, if they can talk about process improvement or things that are going to make their job faster, easier, Again, if it's only a safety card program, I think you are missing out a lot of uh, quality and efficiency improvements. Without a doubt, you know, and and that's part of take it personal, and and it's take it personal on all aspects. Course safety for sure, 
but take it personal on what you're given to work with. You know, push back on us. Did we give you the right tool? If we didn't, then we need to figure out what we need to do to make sure we get you the right tool. And and honestly, I, I from what I see, it's definitely been beneficial for us. Yeah. Yeah, so this has been great conversations. We're um, getting kind of toward the winding down part. Before you, anywhere... I think we passed that. We got a little too into it today. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good though. Before we get there, I want to stop real quick. If our audience wants to support the show, and please, we love it when you support the show. The best thing you can do, the number one thing you can do to support the show, is leave us a review in iTunes. It takes all of two minutes. Um, we have one this week, Patrick from Ginger of All Fair Trades. Uh, what a fantastic show! Patrick and Mark certainly compliment each other, and the guests keep getting better and better. Keep up the great work, guys, and we will. So, Sydney, Jay, you see that bag right there? Do that's the Red Wing Offshore bag. It has become a cult hit. Everybody wants that bag, and if you want that bag, and y'all can enter too, it's very easy. You go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Enter your information. We draw one lucky winner a week. And Patrick, do we have a winner? This week's winner, the Red Wing Offshore bag, is Paolo Moritz. Paolo's an L&D specialist at Noble Drilling. So, um, Jay and uh, Sydney, if people wanted to learn more about your company, where should they go? They should go to hm-ec.com, or you can find us on LinkedIn at H&M Industrial EPC. That's awesome. And then, Jay, I know if people want to reach out to you personally, you're a LinkedIn guy. Yes, yeah. I am. You too, Sydney? Yes. Yeah, so we'll put links to both the company and for their LinkedIn profiles in the show notes, make it easy for everybody. Um, so if you like this show you and you're a listener to the show, you're part of our community. Help us grow our community because it helps you too. The best way to help us grow a community is share the show. Share it on, on social platforms. Share it with your coworkers. You know, Jay, fire up that email that takes you 20 minutes to do <laughs> and drop in, hey, everybody in the company should listen to this podcast and drop in a link to the HSE podcast. I will do that. Yeah. It's um that we have our own website. Uh, if you go to the website, you can leave us your email address. That way you'll find out first where we're doing new stuff. If you want to find out second, join our LinkedIn group, which is oilandgasglobalnetwork.com. It's the companion to this show and all our future shows. And we, Patrick, we have some future shows we can't talk about, we but do have they're some coming. Shows coming out. They're cool. None of this would be possible without our on-the-road sponsors. Total Land, the world's most advanced field land management system. If you're in that landman's world, check them out. They make your life much easier. Lee Heck Harrison, global experts in talent management. If you need help with leadership and workforce transformation, they're your guys. And we'll put links to them uh, as well. All right, so before we get out of here, uh, we typically have a Red Wing safety tip of the week, and y'all point fingers at each other. <laughs> Sydney, what's your Red Wing safety tip of the week? My safety tip of the week would be to ensure that you are properly trained and competent for the work. So just because you have a certification that you got from you know, this training council or because you have a four-year degree does not make you trained and competent to do the task at hand. So just be mindful of that and cautious whenever you're asked to do something or you think you can do something, but you're not quite sure. Yep. I saw somebody not get hurt, but it came really close. They got on a forklift and they've been operating forklifts all, all their lives. And this forklift, the controls were backwards. They weren't familiar with the manufacturer. And, and so when he wanted to go right, he went left. All right, so that's a perfect example of that. Make sure you're competent. And if you're not, say something. And I was just telling somebody at the IDC Human Factors, I have my IDC, IWCF well control. I took the class i could probably fill out a kill sheet but a week after that class was done i had the certificate good for two years there was no way you should put me on the break and, and have me shut in a well exactly <laughs> yeah 
Um, all right, so Patrick, you ready to get out of here? Yeah, let's do it, Mark. All right, folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Yo, be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond. When I first started, uh, first year that I was in safety, uh, back then it was we were kind of more like safety cops, um, standing there with a owner client, looking at a, a bunch of iron workers hanging steel on a on a column, and it was around lunchtime. One of the biggest iron workers I've ever seen, still to this day, um, reaches out, grabs a hold of a vent pipe coming off the top of the column, seventy five foot or so. And uh, it's probably about four inches in diameter and slides down a, <laughs> like a fire, fire pole. He walks past myself and the client and walks to the lunchroom right there, grabs his lunchbox and walks back past us and says, I quit. <laughs> <laughs>